God, we just uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our community. Thank you for bringing us together here where we can gather and experience your love and your grace, your mercy, your compassion as we interact with one another. Father, you are in our midst and we thank you for your presence here, your life-transforming presence that is with us always. We thank you for that. God, I pray for your presence to continue to move in our lives, that your spirit would continue to move in our hearts, in our minds, to mold us, to make us new, to set us free, to make us into the likeness of your son more and more and more. We love you, God. Thank you. Be with me as I preach this message, God. Let your spirit quicken the words in our hearts and our minds that it would bring us to that place of transformation by your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, last week we started a, a new series um, in parenti- on parenting called Family Matters. And uh, it's just a brief two-week series. I don't, not everyone here is a parent, uh, but you know, one of the things that we're noticing here at Trinity, there's just such an, a huge growth in our uh, families, in particular families with young kids. And so I thought, you know, it'd be good to do a, a series on parenting, just a short two-week series. Um, and last week we did, uh, we talked about fear-based parenting. And we talked about how fear-based parenting, when we parent out of fear, it can lead to anger and uh, it can distort the way we view discipline and view how we should discipline our children when we discipline out of anger. And the definition that I gave last week for discipline was this, directing our children to understand that there are consequences for their actions. And, and I was looking at this and actually I was speaking to someone last week after the service and I was kind of pondering this this week as well. You know, the nature of words and phrases over time when we use them and, and when we use them in certain contexts, they kind of change in meaning. And, and we think of the phrase, you know, consequences for their actions. We always, I don't know, I tend to think it's a kind of an angry phrase, right? And so in some ways, this phrase can uh, almost justify the use of anger uh, in our discipline. So I thought maybe there's a better way to word it than this. Um, now, I just want to say this, though, just to clarify that when we see our kids doing something wrong, when we see them repeatedly making uh, poor choices in their lives, when we, when we see them, uh, you know, making choices that will ultimately end up hurting them or hurting others, we're going to get upset, And that's normal. It's normal to get upset. It's normal to experience frustration and anger. It's normal. It's how we deal with them in those circumstances. That's the key. That's important. How do we deal with our kids when we experience anger? How do we react in those moments? Because if we express anger through our discipline, if our discipline is through anger, there's another word for that, and it's actually the word control. Anger is used to control a situation or control a child, and we need to be careful about that. And we talked about that last week, that if we parent that way, right, using anger in our discipline, children will, I mean, they may comply in the moment um, while the angry parent is around, but it's not necessarily the, the case that they'll learn to make better choice 
making habits. Uh, rather, they're learning to appease the parent. And so when the parent's not around, they don't have, necessarily, they don't have the right choice-making habits uh, built up in them. And they would actually go in the way that you didn't want them to go. And so experiencing anger is one thing. It's how we deal with it in those situations. And um, maybe this is a better way to describe or to define discipline uh, when it comes to our kids. Disciplining our children means to train, teach, and direct our kids to make positive decisions that lead to positive outcomes in life. And I think this wording is a bit better. It, it fits better, especially with Proverbs 22, where it says, you know, direct your child in the way he should go, the way she should go. When they're older, they will not depart from it. It just, it fits better, I believe. And so disciplining our children means to train, teach, and direct our kids to make positive decisions that lead to positive outcomes. And that's for all areas of life. Okay, that's for positive relationship building in their lives. It's for positive coping skills when things don't go their way, right? I mean, we've experienced this in Sunday school when a kid gets a blue cup, but they wanted the red cup. I want the red cup. No, you know, Charlie's got the red cup. You're going to have the, you know, whatever. I want the red cup, you know. Uh, We need to be able to direct them (laughs) towards positive coping skills, Um, right? And so maybe that's a better way to define uh, uh, discipline, okay? Now, before I go any further, though, I just want to say this. I just want to make this very clear. Wherever you're at, maybe you um, are a parent of a newborn child, you're a parent of a child in elementary school, high school, you have, you're a parent of children with children, wherever you're at, I just, I just want to say this. Please hear me when I say this. I don't want us to feel condemned in any way when you're hearing this about parenting. When you realize, oh man, I made mistakes in parenting. Right? I don't want you to feel con- condemnation. Okay? I'm not here to heap condemnation on you. Because we all make mistakes. We all do. Right? No one's perfect. We don't, no one's perfect. And you could be hearing me say this and thinking, oh no, I made such a mistake in my parenting. I yelled at my kids. I made them feel so small. You know, I, just, I, I did this, I did that. I've done this, I've done that. And listen, we've all messed up. Okay? We've all messed up. But here's the key, okay? If we see our mistakes, if we see the things that we've done, we see our mistakes, and we truly have a repentant heart, I want to change this about me. I want to change this. Listen, God can use that. God can use that kind of a heart, right? A broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. God wants to change us. God wants to move in our lives. God wants to do that. And God can redeem any situation. There's no situation too impossible for God. There's no situation too late, too, too far gone. There's, no, there's no, no such thing. God can redeem any situation. Nothing's impossible with God. God works all, all things for the good of those who, are, are, who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so God can redeem any situation. Now, I've shared this with you before, um, but I'll share it again. Growing up, I, I grew up in a, it was, it was a tough, tough upbringing. I mean, for the most part, it was, it was good too. Like my, I know my parents loved me. You know, they did their best to work hard. I mean, my, my parents grew up in war-torn Korea and, you know, deep poverty, very poor. Um, they saw things that really people shouldn't see. And so um, they wanted what was best, you know, what was best for their kids. They worked very hard. Um, but, you know, my, my father in particular, he was very angry, very angry. And um, 
He disciplined me out of anger, and uh, it was hard. It was hard for me. Uh, my dad, if you were here today, he would admit this, um, because he actually, uh, something changed in him. Um, but my, you know, my elementary years, you know, even into high school, it, I, was, I was scared of my dad. I was very scared, to the point where if I heard his keys uh, opening the door, front door, uh, I'd get a reaction, like just a nervous reaction to me. Oh no, I've got to pretend I'm asleep, or something like that. I was very afraid of my father. But uh, a few years ago, uh, my dad... I mean, he's, he has since come to the Lord. God's been doing amazing things in his life. And um, he sent me a letter. And in this letter, he wrote down all the things that he said, like, not all the things, but a lot of the things that he said repeatedly uh, that made me feel so small. You know, he compared me to other people. James, why can't you do well in math? You know, so-and-so son is so good at math. What's wrong with you? You know, now I got to send you to all these things. You should be good at math. I don't know why. I'm one of those Asians that's not good at math, okay? I don't know why, okay? I just didn't have that part of the Asian gene, okay? It just didn't come. I don't know what's going on there. But uh, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't have it. So, but, uh, you know, my dad would say things like that and uh, very harsh in the way he disciplined me. Uh, and he admitted that in, in this letter. He wrote out, he, he said, you know, sorry, uh, please forgive me. I apologize and all this. It was like a three-page letter. And I thought, wow. And, you know, I wasn't asking for that. I didn't feel at that time I needed that from my dad. But you know what? Deep down, I really did need to hear that. I really did. And uh, something changed inside me when I was reading this. Something definitely changed in my dad, and that changed me as well. And um, it's like this inner James, this inner child, the, the young James within me, just gobbled that up, and I just I felt so healed. Okay, it's just experienced a, a level of healing. And now my dad and I we're like really good friends. We're like good buds, like best buds, you know. We can go golfing together, which I haven't done in a while, but uh, maybe I'll I'll do that. Uh, We, you know, we hug now, which is so weird because like (laughs) Korean people, they don't do that, okay. It's just, we don't do that. Well, maybe, maybe some do, but in our home, it wasn't like that. But, you know, it's just neat how things have changed. And, um, you know, it's just a testimony that God can redeem. He is a redeemer. It's what God does. So there's no circumstance or situation that is too late or too far gone, right? God can redeem any situation and all things are possible with God, right? But you know what? I found often it takes time. It takes time. And this is what I want to focus on today uh, when I talk about parenting today. I wanna, today I want to talk about fruitful parenting, okay? Fruitful parenting. Now, how many of you here are gardeners, you liked, you love to garden, okay? Just a couple hands, okay? It's hard, I gotta admit, right? But, you know, not just, I, I'm talking about like, you're like a, a real gardener. You're basically like a horticulturalist, right? You love beautiful plants and flowers, shrubs and fruit-bearing plants and vegetables and all sorts of stuff, right? Now, for those of you who are gardeners in here, you would know that a beautiful garden doesn't just appear. It's not, you just plant the seed and all of a sudden the next day, boom, this beautiful, beautiful garden pops up. No way, it it doesn't happen that way. It takes time, right? It takes time. Um, Just this past week, uh, I was up at uh, Stainer for a pastor's retreat and uh, 
One of my friends who was up there with me, uh, I drove him back home to Kitchener, and when we got to his house, uh, he showed me, well, I pulled up to his driveway, I'm like, wow, I mean, he has quite the garden. Uh, Front yard, all around the side of his home, and in his backyard, it's just it's, it's a beautiful garden. And I was like, can I take a look? And I, he's like, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I come out and I'm like, wow. And the first thing I see was this like plant that looked like it had grapes on it, like these purple fruits. I was like, wow, you have a grape plant? That's crazy. That's so cool. And he's like, that's not, those aren't grapes. I'm like, oh. He's like, those are tomatoes. I was like, tomatoes? They were purple. I mean, I've never seen that. Purple tomatoes? Uh, maybe you guys have seen that, but anyway, I've never seen that before. I'm like, wow. And he's like, oh yeah? Well, let me show you some more things. Okay. So I went around. He's like, yellow tomatoes. I'm like, wow, yellow tomatoes. And then cherry tomatoes and big, big tomatoes. I was like, wow, this is so cool. He had cucumbers. He had broccoli. Man, I didn't know broccoli grew on the, grew in a garden. You know, I just thought you get it at a, at a grocery store. You know, <laughs> they just come out of nowhere. But man, there was a actual plant. I'm like, wow, that's broccoli. There was beets. There were uh, just, it was amazing. And he had this one box, right? He constructed this box. It had like a see-through plastic lid on top. And inside the box were uh, leafy greens of all sorts, kale, uh, bok choy, and lettuce and all sorts of cool stuff and he was showing me like why he put it in the box you know so that it could have a you know good environment for growing and uh, he closes the lid and he puts hay around the box too to provide optimum you know temperature I guess and I thought wow that's a lot of work man I didn't just go to the grocery store and pick up a thing of kale but uh, oh he was really into it you know and his garden looked beautiful um, no weeds. He, he prunes regularly. He weeds the garden, clearing, cleaning, and all, and so on. And uh, he was telling me how a lot of those plants he planted in in May, and um, just recently he was able to um, harvest the fruit and enjoy the fruit. And I thought, wow, that's a long time, right? It takes it takes time. Like he planted it in May, right? Now, how absurd would it be if if somebody planted a tomato plant in May? at the beginning of May, and expected there to be fruit in the middle of May. I mean, it would be absurd. That doesn't happen. It's impossible. Now, how much more absurd would it be if if a person planted a tomato plant, expected there to be fruit, seeing none, gets angry about that? How absurd is that? Of course it is. Why is that so absurd? Because an immature plant cannot bear mature fruit. It's not possible. It can't do it. An immature plant cannot produce mature fruit. It's not time yet. See, a lot of times in, in, our, in our culture, we want things fast. Right? Everything zip-zap because I could, I could do things so quickly. But it doesn't work that way for a lot of other things in life. And especially when it comes to parenting. Because sometimes parents expect their kids to behave in certain ways, have certain behavioral characteristics before they develop them. We want to see good fruit in their lives. We want to see that and we expect it, yet the children don't even know about it yet. And when we see that our kids don't have certain traits or characteristics, parents tend to get upset and they try to force them to be that way. But what they rather need is to be coached to be that way. They need, it, it needs to be modeled for them. Right? For example, we may expect our kids to be thoughtful. They need to be thoughtful people. Or, or, or loving towards others. We want our kids to be patient. We want our kids to be quiet and calm at the grocery store. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> Peaceful. Responsible. We want them to be able to make good decisions. Meet the right friends. Pray and do Bible devotions. And it's like, man, they don't necessarily do that on their own. You know? And we get, parents can tend to get upset. Sometimes kids can do those things on their own, but for the most part, most often, those things, those are caught rather than taught. Kids will see their parents being that way. They'll see the fruit within their parents, and then the fruit will grow within themselves. And so parents who model calm, peaceful patience will eventually bring out those fruits in their kids. But when our children behave in undesirable ways, which if you have kids now, you will know it happens. Okay, it happens. It happens every day. Okay. When they act up, parents can get upset. Okay, they, can, they can get anxious and worried. And there's the potential to go back into that fear zone, that fear territory where we begin to make decisions out of fear. Fear of how our kids will turn out. Fear of perception. How are people going to look at me? Right? We, we operate in that way and, and it moves us towards anger and, and anger-based discipline. Right? Rather than fruitful parenting. I mean, we could say things like, oh no, my son is freaking out in the grocery store and he's rolling around on the floor. Oh no, I better fix this real quick before he goes insane. It makes me look like I'm insane, right? Or my daughter, she's just having a temper tantrum right now. I need to fix this situation before she grows up and becomes an irate, uh, abrasive human being. We need to fix this right now, right? But we have to understand something as parents, okay? Especially parents with younger kids. And when I say younger, I mean 20 and under, okay? Because <laughs> a lot of times, uh, yeah, we, it's true, okay? 20 and under. Uh, the emotional development, emotional development and rational development in kids, in children, it's complex, but it doesn't happen at the same time. It happens at different times, and, and kids will develop the emotional part of their brain before the rational part. I mean, we see that. We see that if you've been in kids' ministry at all, like I mentioned, right? We see the emotional part, right? I want popcorn. I want snack now. Oh, we're going to have snack later. I want it now! I want it right now! They, ang- they get angry or they cry, right? Well, that's part of their emotional development taking place. It's how they're reacting and coming to terms or coming to understand the world rea- around them and reacting to the world around them. It's a part of that development, right? That's just how it is. The emotional part develops before the rational part. And the rational part of the brain helps us to regulate that emotional side. Helps us to think things through. Helps us to uh, think about other people. Think about situations, maybe problem-solving skills. That comes later. That actually comes later. Sometimes at 25. I mean, it's for, for real. Sometimes it comes much later. Right? So when a child melts down, though it is not a desirable action, when parents act out of fear, they tend to get angry, use words that really the child doesn't understand yet. And the way, the way, the way they will internalize a parent's words that are spoken out of anger, the way they internalize it, we spoke about this last week, is rejection. They'll feel rejected. Rather than thinking, you know what? Good point, Dad. I shouldn't melt down. Yeah, you're right. That, that wasn't good. They're not going to think like that. Right? Rather, they're going to be like, you know what? Mom doesn't love me. Dad doesn't love me. I'm unlovable right now. I'm unacceptable. I'm unworthy. And that, that makes uh, the whole issue even worse, right? So what is the better way? How do we direct our children on the right, right path so that when they're older, they will not depart from it? 
I want to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Very familiar passage. Verse 1 to 8, this is what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I've used that passage. I've read them at weddings mostly. And it's, it is a beautiful passage on love, right? Paul wrote this in the context of a church that was not functioning well. They, there, was, there were problems with unity. There was a lot of disunity in the Corinthian church. And he said, listen, you need to love each other. You're missing the most important ingredient. It's not the prophetic powers. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not healing signs, wonders. Although those things are great. It's not about that. It's about love. Love each other. And this is what it looks like to love. And so this passage, it applies to all relationships. Relationships with with each other here in this context, in this church, at Trinity Church. This is how we should be with one another. This is how we should be in our kids' ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry, all ministries. This is how small group ministries. When we relate with people, this is how we should be. Loving one another. Now, this passage, it applies to all relationships, especially parent-child relationships, especially that. 1 Corinthians 13 gives a lot of wisdom for parents to be able to exercise fruitful parenting. Fruitful parenting is patient and kind. It expresses patience and kindness. We parents need to be patient and kind even when it is so hard. Okay? It's hard. I'll be honest with you. There's times where I want to explode. Just yesterday, actually. Just yesterday, I failed. Yesterday, over spilt milk. You know, you, know, you know the saying, don't cry over spilt milk? I do, I do, okay? Why? Because milk smells if you don't clean it properly, okay? It's just, and there's two cups that spelled. I'm like, really? And, and I feel this bubbling up inside, blah! Oh, and it's like, oh, you know? But yeah, there's times where it's like, it's very hard. It's, it's not easy to be patient. And many times I'll yell and I'll exert my dominance in a situation, but listen, <coughs> If I look back and I look back at all those times I've exploded, not once did it end well. Not even once. It it was bad all the time. And it created a a wall between my wife and I and my kids. I mean, there's a relational wall that comes up when I react that way. It's like, oh. And uh, yeah, make a mistake. And that's what happens. It, 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 It takes away the intimacy of a family. And uh, I've, I've, that's happened a lot, right? So it's not easy. It leads to more meltdowns and having a bad day. You know, but there are some times, I've got to admit, it doesn't happen a lot, but uh, there are times where I'll catch myself, where, I, where I, I sense that 
anger bubbling up and, and, and I'm being triggered. That's a good word to use, right? For, for anger, it's like triggered. And it's like, ah, oh, I catch it before it comes out. I catch it. Like, okay. And I tell Allie, Allie, I got to just go out for a walk right now. And she totally understands what I'm saying. Okay, go. It's better for you to go than for you to blah. So get out of here, right? And so I'll just, I'll go maybe upstairs or I'll go outside or, you know, depending on how mad I am. Sometimes I need to go for like a half hour walk, okay? And And I take it to the Lord. I'm like, God, why am I so angry? And you know what? 99% of the time, it's something so little. It's so little. And yet it causes all this stuff to well up. And I'm like, okay. And, and the Lord begins to show me, it, it's not a big deal. Right? And sometimes to show me, you know, what, what, what fear am I having? What am I fearing? Are you, am I fearing other people's perception? Or sometimes it's straight up, you're being selfish. Okay? What you want in your kids, you're, you're being the way that you're trying to fix. Right? I'm like, oh. Okay, yeah, thanks, Lord. Right? And so it, it takes some time, but I calm down, and I come back, and I address the situation from a place of calmness rather than from a storm. And, and let me tell you something. I see a huge difference in my kids when I do that. They listen. Now, they understand that I'm upset, right? Because some things they do things, they fight with each other, or, you know, one does something wrong to the other, you know, sibling, and it's like, I, 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 they know I'm upset about it. But I get to a place where I can talk to them and help them understand why, help them understand why the behavior wasn't correct in their terms, in the way that they understand, right? Now, here's another example of fruitful parenting. When a child is expressing negative behavior or emotions, a good response for fruitful parenting is listening. Wow, isn't that backwards sometimes? It feels like I'm doing things backwards. Because right away, parents tend to think, I need to fix it right now. I need to say something right now. But a good response for fruitful parenting, a good first response is listening. By listening, you will become aware of your child's emotions. By listening, you will open up an opportunity for intimacy, for connection. Parental intimacy, once that's established, then you will be able to direct them and point them in the way they need to go. Now, this doesn't mean you have to let things slide, you know, when kids do something wrong, right? It's, it's not that you're letting things slide because they'll push boundaries, they'll rebel and so on. You're not letting things slide, but you are addressing the behavior and communicating that you want to understand why they're behaving that way, okay? It makes a world of a difference, right? Often, us parents, we start by directing our anger and frustration at the child, wanting to fix them and lecture them to change, This can lead to our kids feeling rejected and being exasperated, provoked to anger, and so on. But let me ask you a question. Think about it for a moment. Let's say, you know, you you yourself, you did something or you said something you know you shouldn't have done or you said something you shouldn't have said, and maybe it's your spouse or someone close to you comes up to you and lectures you about it. You know, yeah, you know, you really shouldn't do that, and you you really should be this way, and and, and how how many of you like hearing that? Right? How many of you when, you, when you're in that moment and someone's lecturing you, trying to fix you, it's like, you know what? Yeah, good idea. Good, good call. Yeah. And, and you get encouraged and you feel good about it, right? No one, right? Or at least, I don't know, at least I don't, right? It's not a nice thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Just thinking back to when I was a kid, my dad used to say things like that. Um, when he, when he, whenever he would lecture me, I would think the opposite in my mind. I would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, in, in my mind, I would think the opposite thing. Oh, whatever, I don't care anyway. You know, something like that. It doesn't work, right? 
So if it doesn't work for us, we can't expect it to be good for our kids either. Because it's not. Kids need to be nurtured and coached, not lectured and fixed. Okay? Now suppose your child comes home and they're in a sour mood. They're just all of a sudden mad. And they say something like, you know, I hate school. I never want to go back to school again. And they storm up to their room, shut the door. It's like, wow, they're not happy. Now, the desired response that we want to see, the desired outcome that we would want to see in our kids is to move in their thinking towards, you know, viewing school as a positive thing, viewing school as a, uh, a necessary stage in their life uh, for future endeavors. We want our kids to get to that point, right? But there's two ways where we think, as parents, we can get them there. One of them works, the other one doesn't, okay? The first one is to lecture and fix. Well... You need to go to school and you need to study and do well in school so that you can get a good job, so that you can make a decent living. It's not going to come to you automatically. So school is important. You better change your attitude or else you could, you, could be end up, you could end up on the streets, okay? You know, something like that. Do you know what that does? It doesn't make the child want to go back to school. I'll tell you that. It doesn't make the child want to go back to school. Rather, it'll make the child think that mom and dad don't care about me. They don't care about my feelings. Or, or it makes them think that, hey, great, now mom and dad think I'm worthless too. Oh, that's just great. Life just sucks. That's how they feel. There's a better way, and that's listen and then coach. Right? So, so you go to your child, what, what happened at school today? What happened? Tell me. And you know, sometimes kids will be like, I don't want to talk right now. Uh, whatever, I don't want to talk about it. Okay? But we need to aim to make that emotional connection. Keep trying. Aim to make that emotional connection. Because, listen, when a parent tries to fix and lecture all the time, the kid's not going to want to open up. It's going to take more time for the kids to open up. Because that's the last thing they want is a lecture. Okay? That's the last thing they want. And so, make the emotional connection. What happened at school today? What's going on? What happened? And, and get to the bottom of the situation rather than trying to fix it. You know what? It may turn out that it's, it was such a little thing anyway. Like, maybe, maybe something happened at school where they got into a fight with a friend or something happened and they, uh, something embarrassing happened at school, which it happens a lot at school, right? Uh, make that emotional connection and share your own vulnerability. Oh, yeah, you know, dad, when I, you know, your dad, when I was at uh, school in elementary school, I threw up all over the place in front of all these kids and they laughed at me and, oh, man, it was just horrible. I was so embarrassed. And, th- and then they'll be like, really? That happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you establish that emotional connection. You connect with your kids. And then you're in a better place to be able to direct them and point them in the right direction. You win their heart. You win their heart and you're in a better place to coach them. I know school can be tough. Sometimes kids can be rough. Okay? I know that. But you know, think of the good things at school. Think of, think of the wins. Think of, you know, track and field. Look what you did in your art class or whatever. You know, celebrate the win. Bring out the win and celebrate with them. Connect with them emotionally. Right? That will cultivate and point them towards good choices and good habits in their lives. <clears throat> Like a gardener, parents need to cultivate and lovingly coach their children towards healthy habits and behaviors. And it takes patience, and at times, we need to fight ourselves. <laughs> we need to fight with ourselves because we just want to fix things quick, right? So when you find yourself getting into that mode, I want you to picture this, okay? Picture the tomato plant, okay? When you find yourself getting into that mode, I need to fix things quick. Picture a tomato plant, okay? It doesn't 
happen overnight. Fruit doesn't grow. Tomatoes don't grow overnight. It takes time. It takes care. It takes nurture. Bearing good fruit takes time. Right? Parents, to see good fruit in our kids, it'll take patience, dedication, listening, and coaching. And so, just to end today, uh, a couple of take-home points for you. Number one is this. Again, I'm going to repeat it. Listen and coach your kids towards desirable behavior and positive changes. And be vulnerable yourself. Don't be afraid to connect with them about your own struggles and insecurities. Now, it's, it's about being age-appropriate, of course, you know, and we'll need some wisdom on how to do that. Uh, but you will, you will then connect with them and win their hearts, creating the better environment for you to be able to teach them, train them, and direct them towards the behavior that you want them, where you want them to go. It'll also create a better environment for being able to introduce things like prayer and Bible devotions. Kids aren't going to want to do that automatically. Of course, hey, let's get together and pray. They're going to be like, oh man, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my kids, but they, you know. But when we are able to establish a, a good connection with them on, a, in a, on an emotional level, they'll begin to see the things that the parents value. Oh, my mom and dad, they value prayer. Oh, they value these devotional times together. Yeah, I, I want to do that. Right? That's how we get them there. We don't force it. We coach it. That's how we get them there. Number two, when you find yourself struggling with your own emotions, take time to be with Jesus. Okay? Like I was mentioning, when the triggering starts happening, before it comes out, take time to be with Jesus. John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. She it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Parents, we need Jesus in our parenting. We really do. We do. And he's there. He's there to help us. He's there to guide us. He's there to set us free inside so that we can experience the inner freedom that only he can bring so that we can coach our kids towards their own inner freedom. And so we need to take steps to get closer to God. And and you know, we, we talked about this and uh, I don't mean to, you know, keep telling you this, but again, the Set Free Retreat, for me, was huge. I've been twice now. My wife and I went once. I went twice. I needed it more than she did, okay? But uh, it really got me to understand some of the reasoning behind why I struggle with anger, why I struggle with these uh, issues in my life, sin issues in my life. Why? And, 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 I, and I, you, you come to a place where you bring it to God, and God brings healing, and, and you, you experience a freedom from it, no longer being so bound by it. And, um, you know, I've been, it's, be, it's, it's benefited me, I'll tell you that. It really has. And I want to challenge you. Talk to my wife about that. Ask her. You know what? You know what? For pastors, the gauge of a pastor's spiritual health, you know what it is? It's wife, his wife or her husband, okay? It's the spouse. It really is. So I want to encourage you. Ask her. She'll be open about it. Hopefully not too open. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she will be, you know, sharing our struggles. Namely me, okay? She'll talk about me. And, and I'm okay with that because, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident, at least pretty confident that she'll be like, yeah, you know, James, you know, he has struggled in these areas. But, you know, God's been doing uh, some work in him. He's got a ways to go. But, yeah, God has been. And, um, you know, that's the journey that I want all of us to be on wherever you're at uh, this morning. And so... Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today for so many things. And Father, we are thankful for families. And we're thankful for all that you've provided for us, Lord. God, help us, Lord. 
Help us to become more like you. Help us to direct our kids as a church. Help us to direct our kids in our ministries in the way that they should go so that when they are older, they will not depart from it, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your inner healing. We need to be set free ourselves. And so God, do that inner work in our lives uh, that brings us to a place of greater freedom so that we can become fruitful in our parenting, in our ministering, in our coaching, in our relational dynamics, Lord. So we just thank you so much and um, bless this time, Lord, as we uh, go on our way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Can't wait for the food. It's going to be great.